Welcome to Outside the Studio. My name is Tessa Tovar. I am so excited to have a very special guest on the show today. Rohini Moradi is joining us. She is um, going to tell us all about her amazing Akashic healing community. I'm going to read to you just a little bit about that, and then we'll dive right into our interview. So Rohini grew up traveling through India, practicing a yogic life full of meditation and spiritual studies. In 2018, she lost her baby Rishi and pushed all her spiritual work into overdrive in search of a connection with her late daughter. In doing so, she connected to her higher self. She has studied the art of meditation with many teachers, including Dr. Linda Howe, who trained Rohini in her most emphasized work as an Akashic Records practitioner. Her mission in life is to help as many people as possible on the difficult path of life. Amen, Rohini. Thank you for being here and for helping us (laughs) on this difficult path of life. I mean, right now in particular, it feels like so true just globally, you know? Absolutely. It's kind of a really special time in a way. I know it's painful for all of us, but everyone's kind of waking up together and it's kind Mm. of exciting in that way. Um, because we get to support one another and kind of understand not fully of course, but like kind of understand what the people around us are going through, have some more compassion. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. It's very, it's a very unique uh, shift in perspective and, and an awakening. I, I feel that so yeah, so deeply. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Yay. (laughs) So I would love for you to tell us more about Akasha, um, as a study itself. It's, it's new to me, as I was saying, um, you know, I hadn't heard of it actually before it was introduced to you. So I'd love for you to describe what it, what it is. Yay. Oh my gosh. I feel so honored. Okay. (laughs) So the Akashic records or what we call the Akashic records today, um, what the ancients called the Akashic records was Akash and it, it, like strictly trans translates to um, ether or above. And it's a Sanskrit driven um, word terminology. So this idea came about so long. I can't even, nobody knows exactly Mm. when it was realized, but what it pretty much is, is um, I like to call it a ledger. It's a ledger of vibrational information of events that have happened in the past, present, and possible future. And I say possible future because, um, you know, how like the universe is all mathematical and Mm -hmm. what it does, what this ledger really works with is um, taking all the vibrational frequencies of what has happened and adding the vibrational frequencies that are currently happening and then comes up with a presumed idea of what the future outcome might possibly be, might possibly be if we continue down this path. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. And it sounds like when I, <laughs> I always like get a little giddy when I'm in- introducing it to someone for the first time, because I remember when I first was introduced to it, I could not wrap my head around like an idea of vibrational frequencies and, or like the way it was explained to me, the way it was 
explained to me was like many different ways. But one of the funniest ways was that um, it's like at the highest point of the universe and it's where all the information for universe exists. And it looks like a library. And I'm like, what? I love that. <laughs> I love it. But it just, I couldn't like, I'm like, but the universe, what? <laughs> Who knows where the highest point of the universe is? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. That's very esoteric. Um, really I love is. that the word means ether. I yeah. am. I've been going back and revisiting the the chakra system. And right now I'm mm-hmm. studying in particular Vishuddha, mm-hmm. which the element of Vishuddha, as I'm sure, you know, is ether yeah. or space. Yeah. Um, so I find that to be very, I don't know, serendipitous, I guess. Absolutely. That is so cool. Um, that's actually how I teach people how to tap into the Akasha because um, I've taken it back to the Vedas, um, something I'm familiar with just based on my upbringing and like throughout my studies and like investigative work to try to figure out what this Akashic records are. I realized that's what the Vedas were. It was like an instructional manual for our computer bodies to be able to live yeah. like fully on this plane on this earth, but also open up to universal knowledge. And that's like mm-hmm. the whole purpose of it is just to optimize your body so that it's natural, which is really cool. And um, that's what we do. That's the work we do. We open up our energy centers, like really explore them. And yeah, the throat chakra is connected straight to the Akasha. It's a vibrational frequency. So we're, mm-hmm. um, it's the same idea as like phantom notes. I don't know um, for the musicians out there, but when you, you know, like when you play a note on the guitar, um, the, the note on the next string down, like phantomly plays along with it. So that's what we're doing with our bodies is we're changing the vibration of our bodies to match that of the Akasha. And it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of inner work to do, but it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds so cool. Well, so where do you, start with this work? Is it, is it a reading you might do? Like, um, I'm kind of envisioning like a tarot reading or an astrology reading yeah, in terms of like that, you know, I stopped future. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I got go really excited. Um, <laughs> I love it. I was doing readings for a really long time and I actually just opened my back, my books back up for a very short time. But during the reading, um, what happens is we attune to the person who we're reading for's vibrational frequency. And then we match our body up as a reader um, to the frequency of the Akasha. So you're kind of just like a translator between like the soul and the ledger, you know, Uh Uh and it gets, it can get like the readings occur in many different ways because every single person has like a different ledger of vibrational frequencies they carry around with them, which I keep calling it a ledger because I like I'm like in tax world in my head. But like <laughs> but it's just like a soul with a different, you know, vibrational frequency that's interacted with. That's what I mean by ledger. And I like to say ledger also because there's no like emotional <clears throat> ba- um, baggage attached Mm. to it. It's just a series of events. Mm. You know, um, I want to make that clear. Like if someone's doing a past life Akashic reading or something, they're not going to relive something and all the pain. It's just that everything, um, 
that is listed within the ledger, <laughs> my favorite word right now, comes forward and we discuss that. But yeah, it happens kind of like a tarot reading or an astrology reading in that in the sense that it's very personalized to the person you're reading for. Mm-hmm. Um, and the information usually comes through different for everyone. Um, but my experience has been like, it plays out like a movie and I explain every single little aspect that's happening and, um, it kind of unravels into like a bigger picture. And usually the person I'm reading for is in full control and they can like navigate the car any, any direction they like with what they're receiving. Um, so it's kind of interesting in that way. I started off uh, conducting readings for others for, um, quite a while. And I've transitioned into mostly teaching, um, these days because, um, I really, I'm really attached to the ripple effect of Mm -hmm. giving this tool out to people. And I'm just one person. So I didn't have the energy to read for, Mm -hmm. like, what do I teach people how to read their own so that (laughs) we can connect you cut out the middle person. (laughs) Yeah, that makes so much sense. You know, it's that I think of that saying, um, if you want to, how does that go? I'm going to butcher this. Teach a person how to fish yeah, so that they can feed themselves for a lifetime. Something like that's the gist of it. I'm not saying it correctly at all. (laughs) You know what I mean, right? Totally. Um, Well, so I'm thinking about it from like the standpoint of a couple of lenses. Number one, um, the idea of karma. Mm -hmm. Um, from a past life perspective and even present and future life perspective. Um, And I'm wondering how that relates into it. I think I'll stop there and and let you respond. And then I'll ask my second follow-up question. I love it. Um, And karma is a really big part of it. I feel that in our modern society, we have misinterpreted what karma is because we oftentimes think the word karma means, oh, something bad and something bad is mm. going to happen to you. But karma is just occurrences. It does, it's not really attached to like a really great thing or a really bad thing. Of course, there are bad things that have happened. And, you know, um, the way the universe works is, is it reciprocates energy. So whatever you put out, you get back. And you can't run away from it. So it's not like karma is this like, doomsday thing that's going to come get you it's you're if you're putting out a negative vibration you're already living in that negative vibration you know Mm -hmm. so in the sense of um karma and its attachment to the akasha um it's just a part of the ledger of information you know it's just the occurrences that have happened in past lives present life in the present moment or are happening in the present moment and it's not really tied to a negative, um, aspect in my, mm-hmm. <laughs> from my yeah. understanding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would, I would agree with that. You know, that idea of what you're looking for is what you will find, whether mm-hmm. it's like, I'm looking for something consciously or unconsciously, even mm-hmm. based on old habits and behavior or patterns in my life. I guess what I'm wondering as a follow-up to that is how do we use Akasha healing to break that cycle or can we, um, because, Absolutely. you know, cause you think of karma as like this thing that's almost maybe, is it predestined, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's, it's an energy exchange with the universe. Um, so there are, there are so many ways of healing karma, but karma will make itself known. 
it's usually um, a pattern in your life, whether it's like beneficial to you or not beneficial to you. If it, if you have a pattern that's not beneficial and you're stuck in this loop and that like, it's a part of your karma to heal this wound, you can use the Akashic records or the Akashic realm. I like to call it that um, to, to like peek in to this loop that's going on, f- figure out if it's from this lifetime from a past lifetime or whatnot. And a lot of times like the realization of, Oh, that's what I've been carrying around kind of like untangles that karma or that loop, that pain point that's been coming up a lot in our lives. The really, mm-hmm. can I just add one more thing about yeah, like, the past? Please do. So one really, really cool thing that I learned um, while exploring the Akasha was the way our soul works when we go back and try to investigate like um, past occurrences, vibrational frequencies, <laughs> um, we can kind of like search in a couple different spaces. So our soul is made up of our body and our, um, our spirit, right? And this spirit is like, um, kind of like, um, the bot. Okay. So let me start over. So our body has been, um, like given to us our DNA from our ancestors and there are vibrational frequencies that live within our DNA. So we can actually go in and explore those parts of our DNA and leave the soul out of it because the soul is just the different part it's, it's the same thing, but it's just like many lifetimes of different DNAs building over and over and over again. So it has like a big collection of uh, DNAs, but if we're going to like a specific lineage, maybe like one that coincides with our physical body in this moment, then we can be very specific about going to that space instead of like the whole wide range of it. And that's one of the, like my favorite things that I, that I figured that I was brought to my attention because I feel like you can pinpoint so much easier that way. And um, you can also like travel back to your specific lineage too. Um, with our soul's history, it's really hard to know where the lineage of that came from because it comes mm. from all over. Mm-hmm. But with our personal DNA, it's like really hard. It's really easy to kind of track down and like, um, like, oh yeah, that did happen to my family. That's mm-hmm. great. <laughs> you know, it, it just like validates a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if you find it, I think about kind of a double-edged sword that knowledge is power. And also it can be really scary in terms of coming to consciousness or a realization that something has happened, is happening or will happen that maybe you know, unwanted or undesirable. Um, So I wonder what you think about, is it hard for people? Is it hard for us to be honest with ourselves in order to heal? Sometimes it's necessary, right? To like really dive into the shadow or dive into um, the adverse experience. I'm thinking about like um, historical trauma in the DNA lineage, like the ancestors, right? If you come from like a long line of, let's say, for example, the women in the family over and over again seem to choose really abusive relationships or something like that. Um, And then maybe you yourself find yourself in an abusive relationship. 
And it's often really scary to kind of look at that and go, okay, well, how do I change this? Why am I choosing this over and over again? What do you do in a situation like that? How, how would you use Akashic healing to like pivot in, in a really challenging life situation like that? It's a really good question. I mean, I feel like that depends on the individual really. Mm -hmm. Um, I always say like, don't chase the shadow. Like we don't need to be fully healed to be whole. Like that's not, that's not our purpose, our purpose to be present. Um, but if, if it's like an ongoing issue, family issue or something like that, sometimes going in and discovering what the root of it is, um, can be so helpful because you just like, literally pull that root out. You Mm. take it out of your programming. You know, you're like, I don't want this in my programming anymore. You know, this is out. Like I'm changing that behavior. So, um, my future ancestors, whether you have children or not, you're going to have future ancestors, you know, um, don't have this root in them (laughs) anymore. So I feel like it's a powerful thing to do. And possibly like really difficult. We have to bear that pain, um, to like release it sometimes. So it takes a really like brave person to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's scary and challenging work. So thank you. I appreciate that. And I can Mm -hmm. imagine that, you know, you yourself going through this, losing your, your baby Mm -hmm. Rishi. Um, so I applaud you for, you know, that is like, I, I don't, I don't have any words for that. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go, I mean, if there's something you want to say, go for it, but don't yes. feel obligated. Yeah, no, to. no, it's okay. I've talked about it so much. That was a part of my healing was, um, to just talk about it and not hold it in because I know, I know the way things grow and trauma, appears from hiding, you know, so I'm okay talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was a really interesting journey to, to, so one of the rules to read the Akashic records is you can't really open up the records of anyone else. Cause it's like, it's someone's soul. It's there's a reverence to it. You can't just go in and be like, I'm opening up the records. And also it's not really possible, like without having permission, the intention is really important with um, opening up those channels. So my initial thing was like, I'm going to go find everything out about Rishi and then realizing, no, I can't do this. And I've like focus on myself, like Rishi's on Rishi's voyage, you know? And just because I was her mother doesn't mean I have any ownership of anything. So that was like a really healing thing to be like, wow. So Rishi came and is living her journey like that. And it has nothing really to do with me. Yes. I was impacted by it. And yes, I was like, it was part of, probably part of like something I also had to go through. Um, but how empowering is that, that like, we, like, we are all on our own individual journeys. <laughs> like, I feel like that's amazing. Um, and it helped me heal to realize that we went to like, to see an astrologer, Um, soon after she passed away, we took her ashes to India and Rishikesh, where she's named after to like release her ashes into the Ganges. And we saw uh, a geotish astrologer there. And he also said, you have to let her go so that her soul can keep evolving. But when you keep calling on her, it's like, 
she keeps having to come back and be like, it's okay. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can imagine what a journey. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> no problem. I'm, I'm trying to visualize, um, and help listeners visualize what an, an experience of an Akashic reading is like, I'm wondering, because I know you teach meditation and yoga. Is that incorporated into this healing methodology? What does that look like? Well, I feel like it's all connected. Um, but the way, so in regards to the question about the reading, um, the readings are pretty like soothing in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, what every every reader has a different different method as well. Some people mm-hmm. will send you an email or you know or just phone call record. Mm-hmm. Um, my readings, the way they looked, which are very scarce these days. I'm mainly focusing on teaching, mm-hmm. but we would jump on Zoom. I'd record the session. Cameras shut off guide you through a meditation and um, we open up our energy centers, connect and then connect to the Akasha. And then we just wait and see if information comes in. Usually like it just pours down. Sometimes it takes a while. Um, Cause if, any, if someone's going for an Akashic records reading, there's something pulling them. Like usually the information's just like yeah. showering down. Um Cause it's a weird thing. Like it's not weird, but like, it's not something everybody knows about. So if you're being pulled towards it, there's, there's a, there's a string. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah. But then we go through it. They ask questions and then they receive the video for later. A lot of times the information that comes through in the moment is like, I don't understand what this means. It's very, like, I don't know, like, or that's been my experience. Sometimes it's like, oh, I know exactly what that is, exactly what that is. But oftentimes it's a slow unraveling. Um, so when they re-listen to it, they're like, I completely know what this is now and got it. Let's do this. But the way I receive information and a lot of people do is by connecting to like, um, energetic frequencies that my soul has like, um, has interacted with throughout possibly different lifetimes this lifetime and like those energies that live on the unseen world um have a better understanding of how to read this very difficult ledger which is the akasha because it's a really like if you could imagine every vibrational frequency that has happened in the past present and possible future lives within like the ethers, like right around us. Like that's a lot of information for a puny human mind like me to understand. So that's like you connect with someone your soul recognizes on the other side to like receive it more clearly. Mm-hmm. And um, when we're reading for others too, sometimes their spirit guides or their ancestors come through and the tone changes in the information mm. they're receiving, which is really cool. And I don't yeah. consider myself a medium whatsoever or anything like that. It's just within this realm where I can connect to energies and give the information forward, which is really uh-huh. cool. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. I love that. <laughs> it blew my mind. Yeah. I was like, why? How is this real? <laughs> Does it? Is it something you see visually? as well as sense and feel in terms of 
the energetic frequency changing? Mm -hmm. It's really for different for everyone. And the way it's different is that we have all flexed certain muscles Mm -hmm. through our lifetime. So it's like, you just rely on the muscles you flexed and then you can build on the other ones. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to just make everyone feel good by saying this. And it's just the truth, (laughs) but everyone has the ability to do it. It's just that a lot of times our muscles are weak in the beginning and we have to build them up. And it's a lot of societal ideology that weakens it where we're like, okay, that was just my imagination. Mm. I'm going to ignore this and it gets weaker and weaker. Mm. So you just have to build it back up and um, yeah. and, And kind of like lean on the muscles that are a little stronger in the beginning. And then it opens up, you can see, you can hear, um, you can feel, you can sense, but there in the beginning, there's just like a slight shift that happens that you you can feel, I can feel, I don't know if everyone can, I can feel my body changing frequencies. Mm -hmm. And um, in the beginning, it was through meditation and like a prayer that I used. Um, I ended up channeling my own non-dogmatic prayer. I call it a tap in, but um, after a lot of practice at this point, it, the pure intention can just take me to that point. Mm -hmm. Because one thing that I think it's um, misunderstood about the Akasha or the ether is that it's like outside of us and it's really not, it's, it's really actually deep within every one of us. So it just takes going inward <laughs> instead of outward. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that analogy of it being a muscle that we flex, that we mm-hmm. learn how to use and that we strengthen. I think just like anything new that we try in our life, it's very similar. You think about starting a new exercise regime or my favorite is always uh, starting to go for a run because it's so hard in the beginning, right? Like um, cardiovascularly, psychologically, um, running is not an easy thing, at least for me to do in my experience. It always (laughs) takes me like, I don't know, a month, two months to start to feel like it's something I can just get up and go do. Yeah. Um, So definitely, I love that analogy. And I'm, I'm thinking about you know, the practices of meditation and yoga, um, in and of themselves is, is very similar in the way that we approach that as a practice, as muscles that we learn how to flex and strengthen. And so, um, I also teach yoga and I often hear people say to me, I can't do yoga because of X, Y, and Z. And usually there are things like, I can't touch my toes. I'm not flexible enough, or I can't sit still. I can't sit sit still to meditate because I can't make my mind stop thinking. Um, and so what would you say to the person who wants to incorporate meditation and yoga into their daily life or at least, I love it. it, you know, well, I would say that yoga isn't about touching your toes. It's just about becoming a little better every day and sticking to a routine, like connecting with your body and your breath. It's really not about anything more. It's just a tool to really connect with your body. Um, so, and for meditation, please don't stop thinking like 
we are alive and we're supposed to be thinking. <laughs> I that's a that's I don't know who started that. Like yeah, it's interesting huh? about <laughs> meditation where you're not supposed to be thinking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Me up. Like please keep thinking. So the idea of meditation is to learn how to observe your thoughts rather than be your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And once you start observing your thoughts, you realize the thoughts you don't want to keep around. You you start recognizing your loop, right? You're like, Oh, I say that to myself a lot. I don't want that anymore. And you become the observer and you can kind of um, curate your subconscious, which is like what's running your life. That's the, that's the purpose of meditation. And it's for like understanding your subconscious, clearing it and opening it up. Once you start clearing your subconscious, you can open it up to like bigger channels, but it's like, again, that's like a really hard muscle to flex because especially in this day and age where we can't sit still without looking at our phone every two seconds or like, you know, so I I say, if you want to start a meditation practice, please do it. Spend one minute a day, like just Mm. set your timer one minute, sit there and just focus on your breath. Once you lose focus of your breath and you start like trailing off on a thought, just bring your focus back. That's all meditation is. And it just evolves and the muscle flexes more and more as you practice. Yeah. But please keep thinking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The function of the mind is to to think, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's just an indicator that that you're alive. (laughs) That's Mm. pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. An indicator that you're alive. Yeah. I love that. And when you, how about incorporating yoga into your daily practice? Do you have any tips on, on that piece? I really do. I really do. Because so I've practiced yoga my whole life. So I have that privilege on my side where my perspective might not matter because I didn't have a beginner I mean, I've always have a big inner mindset with yoga, but it's not something that I had to like learn from, Mm -hmm. uh, as an adult, but I will tell you that I stopped for like five or six years and I had to restart and it was really difficult. Mm -hmm. So what I did, hopefully it helps people to start a yogic practice is start with cat cow, which is one of the most amazing (laughs) poses. And just again, like focus on your breath. I think in the beginning, when you're just moving your body with your breath, Mm -hmm. um, it can help so much start there, start even like with Shavasana, just lay there and focus on your breath. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then maybe like move your leg up, start slow. You don't have to do everything at once. You don't have to look at like, um, these yoga wellness people who are doing like crazy stretches, like holding themselves up with one hand, like that's not the goal. The goal is for you to connect with your body. And if it helps you to do tiny little movements, maybe just one pose a day in the beginning and see how good that feels. I'm sure you'll, you'll want to keep continue and learn other poses. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder what you think about this evolution of the asana practice. Mm. I mean, for someone, (laughs) I feel like this is such a loaded question, but I, it fascinates me as I learn more and more about um, yoga philosophy and history and all the different aspects and how, and I don't know if this is um, a stereotype, maybe it's true, but in the West, it seems like there's this um, heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis on asana as yoga. Um, And then 
if you take it one step further, the asana being like those crazy kind of pretzel, um, almost carnival like shapes that we make with our body as the goal somehow, which I don't think is true. It's not the way that I teach. Um, but it seems like this is the somehow yoga has evolved in this way. I don't know if it's commercialization. It's colonization, but I wouldn't say it's evolved. Um, (laughs) (laughs) good. Thank you. (laughs) Colonization. It's taking an ancient practice and capitalizing on it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but I mean, honestly, like if it's helping you, even if you're just focused on asana, if that's helping you connect your body, like no judgment, like just enjoy you. But if you're out there and you are comparing yourself to people who are pretzeling themselves and being like, I could never do that, then know that that's not the goal of yoga and or yoga asana. The the whole goal of our asana, our poses is to connect with our bodies. So go back to that and forget about the other stuff. If it makes you feel inferior, you know? Yeah. It's so simple, right? Um, yeah. It's so funny. I started giggling when he brought this up because I wrote this like really angry blog one day where I was like, <laughs> and then, like uh-huh. I'm just going to post it and be like, you know what? I'm so mad about this. And then mm-hmm. as I was writing, I'm like, well, like, it's like for everybody, it's not like some, like this group of people owns it. It's they brought it to the world. And People can interpret it any way they like. If that's what's helping them, that interpretation's helping them, then that's great. Why am I so like, why do I care what other people are doing? And then I like totally erased it. Like, that's dumb. <laughs> so I was laughing. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Well, I can appreciate that though. I think there's so much we, we you know, as, as someone who teaches yoga and studies it and reveres it, I try to be sensitive to yoga's roots and the colonization of Mm -hmm. it. And, um, this whole idea, I feel like we're kind of touching on the topic of cultural appropriation, um, and not wanting to like have it lose its reverence, right. Or have it lose its essence. So, I don't know, as a, as a teacher, personally, I struggle with that. How do we honor yoga's roots and how do we teach, um, truly, but I do love what you're saying about, you know, the purpose is to connect with your body. The mm-hmm. purpose is to, to reconnect, to stay connected, to remind you of your connection. You know, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but, um, I just want to add something really quickly because yeah. you just mentioned, um, how do we keep reverence and have it stay connected to its roots. I think one thing that's really upsetting about colonization in general is that like these modalities are stripped from a culture and then Mm. the culture is just left behind. The people have been like, have had this golden thing taken from them and they're just disregarded. Mm. I think one way to like bring more reverence and bring more connection back to roots is to start donating to organizations in the original root place, you know, Mm -hmm. and helping their communities come back up because colonization has definitely like really hurt India in, in general. And it's just, even within themselves, like there's different hierarchies and it's really, really sad. Mm -hmm. So I think bringing money back to like the, poor parts and organizations that are helping, um, communities there 
can be really important and organizations that are owned by actual Indian people, not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Thank you for bringing no that up. I will definitely mention that in the show notes. And you. if you have any organizations that you would recommend, I would love to include those. Absolutely. Mother miracle is my favorite. By far. Mother miracle. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I will <laughs> look that up and I will also include it in the show notes. Thank you. I want to, um, Thank you. I want to talk to you a little bit more about spiritual awakening. Um, I know that, uh, well, I guess I'll just put it out there. So stages of spiritual awakening. Can you expound upon that for me? Yeah, of course. I mean, I feel like I always say this, but it's just the truth. Um, It's different for everybody, but usually it starts um, at a very low place. And for me, I can tell you my, my, my side of it. Um, for me, it started, um, before my daughter passed away, actually, it was like a couple of years before where I was just so unhappy with my life. And I just wanted to end everything. Like I was Mm -hmm. depressed, very depressed. And I was just like every day, like my loop in my subconscious was like, I'm going to leave. I'm done with this life. I'm over it. And I didn't have anything bad happening in my life. Like I was in a loving marriage, had a beautiful daughter. Um, it's just, <laughs> I later realized that um, I have ADHD and I was using my dopamine in my brain and also in real life. So it was like um, depleting me of joy, <laughs> mm. but but it was that where it brought me down to a puddle. And there was one day where I pleaded with myself and I was like, I want to live. I pleaded with the universe and life in general. And after that, like, I felt like something opened up for me. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what led me to um, India, bringing my daughter Rishi and then soon losing my daughter Rishi. And with that second spiritual awakening, my experience and a lot of people's experience whom I've spoken to um, in regards to like an awakening is you are mushed down into a puddle, broken in half, made into a puddle. So it's really painful at first when you Mm. start seeing the world for what it is and you have to start rebuilding yourself. And as somebody who already has a body, like it's really difficult to rebuild with especially our programming or the loop that's going on in our mind. So we go through really dark stages of first, actually, let me, (laughs) we go through the puddle phase. First, we see the world with our new eyes and everything is beautiful and it's bliss. And you see it for what it actually is without the loop. And then the loop comes back. And when the loop comes back, the vibrancy fades away and everything gets really dark. And you're so upset because you know what the world can be versus what it is. And it's just you crumble, right? You go Mm -hmm. through a really dark phase and you take all that energy from this dark phase and what you can and what you saw it could be. And you crystallize, you you've become a caterpillar in like, um, Oh my gosh. Why am I forgetting what caterpillars are? 
that state I know I'm like a metamorphosis yeah so you're in there turning from a caterpillar into a butterfly and this takes a really 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 long time and a lot of time during this stage like all the doors are shutting in front of you. You've already gone through this traumatic thing. Sometimes you don't go through a traumatic thing to have an awakening and you just kind of like wake up, which is really cool. Oh, I wish I had that. <laughs> I'm like that. Can I have, can I order that one, please? That sounds cool. <laughs> and that. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, but once you start accumulating, like you start taking everything around you in and making it into like a new version of yourself. And this, mm-hmm. this phase connect, like, I feel like is even harder than the beginning phase. Um, because other people around you don't really understand what you're going through, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, for me, it was like, I was a blank slate, just going out into the world and like, just all of a sudden, like sitting at lunch with the cool kids and then being like, we're not friends with you. I'm like, Oh, I forgot. <laughs> Sorry. I forgot who I was. So it's like a lot of shaking up in that sense where yeah. you're like, Oh, okay. That's not for me. That's not for me. That's not for me. And then finally you, you connect with your soul. You know, if you let it, this can take years, like the whole chrysalis phase. If, if you're easy with yourself, it doesn't have to take very long, but I noticed every time I fought with myself and like the natural process of just like being me, everything was torn down. Like there was an occurrence that happened in January that took me like seven months to get over because I was like fighting it internally. I let it get to me because Mm -hmm. I wasn't connected to my soul fully. I didn't know what that felt like anymore because when you're in that darkness, you like lose it, you know, and it feels like you're carrying your soul, like as a balloon behind you, but you're not like attached. So -hmm. there has to be like a reattachment phase where you let the soul be the driver instead of trying Mm -hmm. to be the driver constantly. And I think that's when like the magic starts happening, just releasing it and really trusting yourself because you are your soul, you know, so you just have to like believe yourself and be like, well, here I am to do this magical thing. And that's in a gist, my experience with what a spiritual awakening is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I can just empathize with the stages of feeling like, oh, everything's beautiful and lustrous and sparkly and shiny. And then yeah. how come nobody else around me sees this? And why is everybody on their phone all the time? And just yeah. look up and look up at the trees and the sunshine, and listen to the birds. And I'm like, why am I the only one that's, I mean, I'm, I'm not obviously the only one, but it, it just feels, feels, it feels a little bit lonesome sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not claiming to be spiritually awakened. I'm, I'm just saying like, I feel like I've gone through those stages of having this breakthrough or this connection of, um, the cobwebs clear and I can see, yeah. and, um, I had this experience actually last month I was backpacking and this is when I feel the most connected And I was going, I was getting ready to go to bed. I was going to sleep that night. And I just had this thought pop into my head, kind of unbidden, I guess. And it was interesting because I was like, well, whose voice is this? I haven't heard this voice in a long time. And the voice was like, you need to live your life. Like every day is the last day you need to, it wasn't in these exact words, but it was like, appreciate every day, live every day to the fullest, you know, that 
whole mindset of like, every day is a gift. And how can you bring joy into your life every day? How can you experience joy every day? Um, and, and then the next day I woke up and I was tired and cranky because I slept on the hard, cold floor and it was raining (laughs) and I was like, Oh, I'm back to reality (laughs) or back to this current version of reality. And so it is that kind of like back and forth of Mm -hmm. that nonlinear path. It, It can be challenging. You know what though? Like that's a part of it too. It's not, I don't like my personal opinion is that it doesn't need to be joyful all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about accepting that it's like all a part of it. And that's what to me, it seems living in the present moment really is, is like accepting the pain and the joy Mm -hmm. and appreciating that you're alive to feel it in a way (laughs) not bypassing but like you know what I mean like yeah yeah it's I yeah yeah. there's this wonderful are you familiar with the poet Khalil Gibran Mm -mm. there's this wonderful book it's called the prophet and it's it's like a book of poetry the prophet yeah yeah so you know how you you go through each um kind of like state like he mm-hmm. he describes um sorrow and mm-hmm. my favorite line is your joy is your sorrow unmasked mm-hmm. and like you can't have one without the other right mm-hmm. that they go hand in hand so i i so appreciate that um yeah thank you That's for beautiful that notation mm-hmm. i um i want to be mindful of your time um i'd love to i think what i'd love to do is end with just having you tell us a little bit more about magic inclined your community um, and where people can reach you and how they can connect with you. And of course, anything else that you feel like you you really want to share with listeners. Thank you so much. Well, um, you can find me on magicinclined.com, and um, yeah. (laughs) So I'm kind of going through like an evolution with it right now, which is why I'm like, "Hmm, what do I tell you about what's Mm -hmm. come out of magic inclined um, recently is that um, I'm really focused on teaching as many people as possible on how to read their own records Mm -hmm. on how to read the records of others and also how to teach others how to read the records. So there's going to be like, different workshops based on that. And, um, I also have like a free ebook on there that you can just download for free to learn your own, to learn how to read your own record. This whole idea of magic inclined started with my daughter, like me sharing stories of my daughter, Rishi and part of my healing. So it's like, it's main purpose is to pass the light to as many people as I possibly can. That ripple effect matters to me. So if you're being called to do something like that, there's free resources on there. Um, And then um, the community, you can join the community, but the community was first started um, so that people can practice reading each other's records. Cause that's when you kind of like realize, whoa, this is a real thing. When you're in your own mind, it's hard to differentiate whether it's our imagination or actually like we're tapping into another realm. So we created this community so that people can actually practice on each other and see, whoa, this information is coming out of me or outside of me, not from me, because 
the the stuff that comes up when you open up somebody else's records is like not from us. <laughs> so it's yeah. really cool. Um, but what it's morphed into now is like, I really want to like build the community factor of it, like off of social media. Um, so we're having our community members teach workshops and all this cool stuff. And I'm so excited. Like so many magic people are like just connecting with each other and it just warms my heart. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's the gist of it. Um, everything's under magicincline.com. <laughs> okay, great. Well, definitely share links to the website, the ebook, which I'm going to download Yay. right now. Um, <laughs> and I just, I so appreciate your, your, the joy and like the bubbly enthusiasm coming through Rohini. Thank you for sharing you. it with us. It's, it's been a breath of fresh air. I can, I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Thank you. <laughs> thanks for being on the show. Anything, any last words before we say goodbye? Yeah, I feel I say this a lot, um, but I'm meeting most of you for the first time. Um, believe in yourself. And I know that's cheesy, but there is this little tiny voice that lives inside of all of us. Like it's so tiny that it's like overwhelmed with all the other chitter and chatter around us and often gets like shoved to the side, but listen to that little voice, because once you start listening to that little tiny voice, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's the thing that's guiding you to change your life, to become the most optimal version of yourself. It's all inside of you. You don't need anything else. All you need to li- is to listen to you and mwah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Ah, big kiss. <laughs> Believe in yourself. Thank you, Rohini. Yeah. I love that. Yay. Thanks for having me on the show. It's such a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, or even requests for future podcast topics, please feel free to reach out to me on the social media handles, Facebook at Tessa Marie Tovar. Instagram, yogi underscore Katniss, um, email address, tessa.tovar, that's T-O-V as in Victor, A-R, at iCloud.com. I love to hear from my students, and I'm always happy to talk about this kind of thing for you. If you don't listen, I don't do this. And my goal is to spread the word about what yoga means on and off the mat, in particular, spreading the word outside of the studio. Thanks for tuning in and have a lovely day. Bye.